born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. It's time to begin our Sunday morning Bible class. Good to have you here this morning. So if you have a Bible, we've been studying in the book of First Peter, I think it is, isn't it? Book of First Peter. So turn there. Today we're going to look at a very, very controversial portion of Scripture. And I'm going to give you several renditions. And then if I can, I'm going to tell you what I think it really means. And then I might not be right. But here in 1 Peter chapter 3, look there in verse 18. Verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Buddy, that is a lot of scripture. There's not a lot in lots of verses, but there's a lot of stuff said in here. And we're going to take a look at it. Let's take and have prayer, shall we? Father, once again, we thank you so much for giving us your word. And Father, we know with our mind we don't understand everything. But we pray that even though as we study it, you'd help us to learn some things that would help us in our walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. It's a good portion of Scripture, isn't it? It deserves a good answer. I think I'll have Angel come up here and explain this to us. But in verse 18, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, most people don't have too much problem with that verse. And we believe that he was put to death in the flesh and quickened or made alive by the, the Holy Spirit, raised from the dead. Doesn't mean he was quickened by the Spirit and got saved. No, <laughs> he is the Savior. But he was quickened 
And let me just give you a verse to kind of put that in perspective. Look at the book of Romans in chapter 8. Romans and chapter 8. And you'll see a verse here that will help explain that just a little bit. Here in Romans in chapter 8, look in verse 11. In verse 11. It's on page 1201 in the church Bible. Verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Holy Spirit quickened His body because He was put to death in the flesh, but He was made alive and His body became like it is today no longer subject to death. Now go back there to the book of 1 Peter in chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, you'll notice that he makes several statements here, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now it gets a little bit more, hmm, like what prison? What spirits? Now, we do believe, and I, I believe, that when Christ died on the cross, he had told the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He also had made the statement, um, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, even so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So we believe that he went to the heart of the earth, and he, the Bible says, that he led captivity captive. Now, is this a different group of people? Well, when he ascended up on high, it says in the book of Ephesians, that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth and led captive. So he took those people out. So that means that um, when he took them out, he evidently was talking about those that believed on him. And he took them to heaven. So that was done when he came back from the dead. We have now, who did he preach to in prison? And did he preach to them before they got to prison or after the resurrection or the crucifixion of Christ? When did he do it? And why would it mention only a certain group of people? See there in verse 19 by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing. So it, it boils it down to just a certain group of people. Otherwise, it could have just said he went and preached to all the people that were there in this prison, and it would refer to all the people from Adam and Eve all the way up until he died. If that's the case, why weren't they all there? So did he just preach to just those people? Or did he preach to everybody? Was it just the saved or was it just the lost? So let me explain this part to you. It refers to the flood and to whoever was before the flood. And when he says disobedient means the unbelieving. So I believe he's talking to those that were lost. And the key is, is when did he preach to those people? Well, whenever 
a man of God preaches the word, the Lord is doing it through them. Now we have in the scriptures that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. True? He was a preacher of righteousness. So he must have done some preaching. And who would he have preached to? Those after the flood or before the flood? So he would have preached before the flood. So he preached to those before the flood had come. And while the ark was prepared. So while he was doing the one job, he was also doing the other job. He was building and he was preaching. But the people that were before the flood, they were wicked and unbelieving. Whereby it says only eight souls were saved. That's not a, a lot of people. So I believe there's a good possibility that he preached to the spirits that are now in prison, but he didn't do it when he died on the cross. He had already done that before the flood, before they died. These are scriptures that are used by those who believe in a place called purgatory. That you can die and go to a place and then somebody can still preach to you or pay penance or prayers and deliver you out of that place called purgatory. He says, I don't believe in a place called purgatory and I don't believe this is the foundation for that teaching. So I don't believe there's any preaching that needs to be going on after a man is dead. Because then it's too late. And why would he go there and he preach to these people when it's already too late to do anything about it? So I believe that he preached to them through Noah before the flood. And they were people that are now dead. So here is talking about the spirits that are now here in this place of hell were those unbelievers back before the flood. And they were preached to through the gospel. So that is my take on that. Now, get what he says here in verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient or unbelieving when the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So we know it was before the flood. While the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So as the water would lift the ark, we could say it was saved through the water or because of the water, it floated it. But it was also that which destroyed everything else upon the earth. And so they were safe because, not because of the water, but because of the ark that was in the water. So God had Noah preach this message for about 120 years, and people did not believe. Now you realize the, the suffering that he went through, the ridicule, and all that went with it, but he still did it because he believed what God said. Now, in the context here in the book of First Peter, we're talking about suffering. Suffering. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the husband and the wife and how that marriage can be, if things are not right, a time of suffering. And it can really get bad. But the Lord is saying that if we will do that which is right, even though we suffer for it, it's better to do right and suffer than to do wrong and suffer. So he makes the statement, 
up here that even though we do those things that are right, there's a price to be paid. And so he's talking about having a good conscience where we talk about the peace, the joy, the happiness of the Lord. Well, that's because your conscience is clean. Your conscience is good. Your conscience is pure. You can have an evil conscience, a defiled conscience. So look up very quickly in verse 14. But and if we suffer, and we will, for righteousness sake, then it refers to what Noah went through. Noah did right and suffered for it. And look how long it was. And he didn't win the world, but he got eight on the ark. But before he went to what Noah did, he talked about what Jesus did. That's why in verse 18, for Christ has also once, and here's that word, suffered. Suffered. And then it kind of puts it into context because, okay, how do I apply that? Well, chapter 4 and verse 1, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind that he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In other words, it's better to suffer than to get angry, sin against somebody, take vengeance, and to do them wrong, or even get mad and bitter toward God. So he says, look, look what Jesus did. Look how he was treated. But he didn't use any of that to justify Doing them wrong. Jesus never wronged anybody back. He did right. When it came to Noah, Noah suffered for a long time. But he got his family. But there was a, a, there's a peace and a joy that comes when he says, arm yourself with the same mind. Why was Noah able to do this? Why was Christ able to do this? Because you have to believe that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be hereafter. In other words, it will be worth it. It will be worth it all. There is no amount of suffering in this life that will uh, not be worth what God has for us when we get to heaven. So we're to know that and believe that. So then he uses another illustration about baptism. Look there in uh, verse 21. Uh, the like figure whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this is, gets really tricky. And so there's several views on it. And they're not all bad. As long as a particular view doesn't contradict the scriptures, then I, I got no trouble with it. Because sometimes you can look at it and it doesn't seem to you know, give it clear meaning. What are you really saying? Is it spiritual baptism? Is it water baptism? Well, in verse 20 up there, when you're talking about the water and talking about literal water. And so now we're talking about baptism, but we baptize with water. But there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that when you trust Christ as Savior, you're placed into the body of Christ and no problem there if you refer it to that. Or if you refer it to water baptism. Remember this. When you stand in the water, it's a picture like Christ on the cross. And when you go under the water, it's a picture of your burial. When you come up out of the water, it's a picture of your resurrection. So when a person is baptized, we're not baptized because Christ was 
crucified and dead and resurrected. Because when we believe he did it for us, we should be because that was a picture of my death, my burial, my resurrection, so that I will walk in newness of life. So water baptism is a picture of salvation, but it is not salvation. Water will not wash the dirt off your neck if you don't use soap with it. Here it says we're not talking about washing away the dirt off your body, the filth of the flesh, or trying to wash your sins away in the water. That's what he says in the parenthesis there. See there? Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. But why do we get water baptized? Because it is a command of God, and it's a good conscience. You know you have obeyed the Lord. You've done what God says do. So we do the things that God tells us to do because it gives you a good clean conscience. Now, as we study the Word of God, you're going to find out there's some time it seems like I am talking directly to you. Like somebody has told me things about you and I'm nailing you. But I never attack any person from the pulpit. I never hone in on anybody. If I have something to say to Peter, I'll talk to him. And if I got something to say to you, then I'll talk to you. I don't have to use this to do it. I talk in a generic way when it comes to the teaching on the Sunday morning or Sunday night or whatever it is. Now, I don't know what the Holy Spirit will do. Now, he may take a particular verse or a thought that I've said and hit you upside the head until it rings like a Chinese gong. Now, that's between you and him. Now, I had some people when I get bigger, they say, Boy, you really got on my toes today. They're bloody. I said, I didn't get on anybody's toes. Now, if the Lord got onto you, then you've got a problem between you and him. And I hope you get it taken care of. But the Holy Spirit takes his word and he pinpoints different people because he knows what everybody needs. See, if I was to say, I got three points to my sermon. Now, I may have three points to my sermon. And I have, you know, a lot of different thoughts that I'll say here and there. But see, I believe if I got a hundred people listening to me, I've got a hundred decisions that morning. If I got two hundred people listening to me, I got two hundred decisions this morning. Some positive and some negative and some I don't care. But everybody makes a decision on every sermon that I preach. Somebody's going to correct something. Somebody's going to overlook something. Somebody's going to change something. But something is happening. Now, what happens is because either your conscience is good or it's evil. And I'll show you. Uh, look what he says up here in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, having a good conscience. You ought to underline those two words. Good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse, get this, your good behavior in Christ, your manner of life. If you do right and you suffer for it, fine. In verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Doesn't that make sense? 
But while we're in this world, you are going to suffer. There's a price to be paid. But know that that's, that's part of it. But believing that the sufferings that you're going to go through is going to be rewarded by the Lord when you get to heaven. And that's why he says in the very first chapter here uh, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, though it be tried in the fire, may be found in the praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So your faith is on trial. So the only way to put your faith on trial is for you to suffer. You've got to suffer something. And so the trials and tribulations, the temptations, and all those things are all part of your suffering. But God says... That's where the testing comes from. Do you love him more than the world? Will you do right regardless? And so it all worked on your conscience. There's things that um, may bother you that don't bother somebody else. They may not think it's that bad, but you may think it's terrible. So you don't all have exactly the same view on everything. You may excuse yourself and accuse somebody else. But the ability to accuse or to excuse in your judgment anybody on anything is revealing your discernment. Look at that verse in the book of uh, Romans in chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. This is a good verse. You need to underline this verse. Look there in verse 15. Romans chapter 2 and verse 15. Now he's showing the Jews and Gentiles that they're all under sin. Even though the one had the law and the other one didn't. But he says that uh, nature's laws that are written in the heart. Look in verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. And get this, and you ought to underline it, their conscience also bearing witness. And get this, and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. You see, you can accuse or excuse anybody without an element of justice, judgment. And so whenever you accuse somebody, your conscience, if it's right, should either give you peace of mind because you're right, and it should convict you if you're wrong. And whenever you're wrong and you do something wrong and you know you did wrong, it robs you of the peace and the joy, the happiness that you really want to have. So it'll strip that away from you because you know. You know. And you can excuse yourself and permit yourself to do a lot of things that you know is not right to do. But you do it anyway. That means that you have a conscience. But is your conscience pure? Or is it evil? Is it defiled? And that's why the Bible talks about us having a good conscience. It means you did right. And you suffered for it. But because you know you did right. You have a good conscience Toward God. Go back there to the book of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And look there now in verse 21. 
the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us. Save us from what? Water baptism, it doesn't save you from anything except a good conscience. It gives you a good conscience. You did what God says to do because it is a picture of what Christ did on the cross for us, but it's a picture of your own death, burial, and resurrection to walk in newness of life. And this newness of life means that from henceforth, I may have to do a lot of suffering for the Lord. But my conscience is clear and clean because I'm willing to correct in my life what I need to, and I want to serve the Lord what time I have left. So get to the last part of this verse here. He says, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but of the answer of a, get this, you ought to underline those two words, good conscience. A good conscience toward God. Good conscience toward God. Because see, it's the Lord that knows what you know. And when you know that you're not doing what's right, you know that God knows that you know it. Don't you know that? And so that's why you don't have the peace of mind that you ought to have because there's something inside that lets you know that ain't right. So the Holy Spirit, once you trust Christ as Savior, He is to reveal unrighteousness, sin, because they don't believe on it, chastening, judgment. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just convict the lost man of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It also convicts the child of God when he's not doing right because of sin and because he's going to be chastened, and he knows it. So the Holy Spirit that was given to you and I as a comforter can become a great discomforter. And so you don't have the peace that you ought to have. I was told that a preacher, a good preacher, is supposed to afflict the comforted, and to comfort the afflicted. So if you're too comforted, I'm supposed to afflict you in some way so that you're not so comfortable. But if you're afflicted, I'm supposed to bring you comfort. That is really hard to do sometimes. But now, I want to give you a couple verses to kind of help this here. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Now, not everybody all love the Lord the same way. Some are popped up by various things. Knowledge, talent, abilities you know they have. But it says knowledge puff up, but love edifies. And look, just look in verse 2. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Well, how does people know that you love God? Well, by the things that you do. So if you say you love the Lord and you don't live like you love the Lord, uh, that's going to work on your conscience. And then plus, people that you're trying to influence are not going to believe you. They will consider you to be a hypocrite. Have you ever heard people say, I'm not going to that church over there, bunch of hypocrites over there. Because if anybody in this church, as a member of this church, you wrong somebody out there, this whole church will get labeled. 
The people at Calvary Community Church is a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because one person can give the whole church a bad name. Yes or no? You know it's true. So that's why we have to watch what we say and do. Now, if you go out of here and you passed out tracts and you offended somebody because you gave them the gospel and you suffer for that, we'll all willingly suffer with you. Because if it's good for the individual, then it's good for the whole church. How permanent is your salvation? Can you lose it? Are you 100% sure that you'll go to heaven? To help you in answering that question, Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.